Well, good morning. Uh, please take your Bibles and open them up to... I'm going to have you open them up to two places, actually, this morning. I want you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 8. And I'm going to pray. And I just want to say again, I'm just so... I don't know if this is the right word, proud. I'm, I'm so proud of uh, all the parents here. Um, I say this a lot, but I'm just really delighted when parents make the sacrifice to bring their young children here. Because I know certainly Micah's parents are exhausted um, and all the other parents here are exhausted and yet they've chosen to come here. And I think it's so, so important that our children see they may not understand yet when they're younger, but it's so important that they see this place every Sunday is really important to mommy and daddy. And then at nights, it's so important that they see, you know, that, that when, when mommy and daddy open up a book, this book is so important to mommy and daddy. I wonder what's in that book. I wonder why they bring us here every Sunday. So, so important. And I'm just really, really proud of, of the parents here. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us, will we? Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to come and speak to your people. Lord, you say in your word, not many of you should presume to teach, for there is a greater judgment. And Lord, I do not take that for granted or lightly. Lord, and we shouldn't take the hearing of your word lightly. I pray, Lord, you would come in power this morning as we hear of you, what you've done, and who you are in our lives. Oh, Lord, we ask, please speak. In your precious and wonderful name we pray. Amen. Over the last uh, number of weeks, we've been going through a series talking about Jesus as prophet, Jesus as priest, and Jesus as king. Jesus is the great prophet, Jesus is the great priest, and Jesus is the great king. And this morning, we are here to hear about our great king, Jesus. And the man who, who, who thought up of this concept of, of looking at Jesus as both prophet, priest, king is a guy called John Calvin in the 1500s. He wrote this systematic theology and in this systematic theology, he saw that there is a good way to view Jesus in the scriptures and it is this, that Jesus is the great prophet, Jesus is the great priest and Jesus is the great king. And one of his favorite verses that he used in order to show that all these prophets, all these priests, all these kings were shadows is this verse in Colossians chapter 2. Let me read it to you. It says this in Colossians chapter 2 verse 16, and I'll get to Mark in a while, but Colossians chapter 2 verse 16 says this, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to the festivals or the new moons or the Sabbaths. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. When you look at all the Old Testament Here's what he's saying. You look at all the Old Testament. You look at the festivals. You look at the feasts. You look at the Sabbaths. You look at the ceremonies. You look at the sacrifices. You look at the priests. You look at the prophets. You look at the kings. 
all of them are what? Shadows pointing to the reality that is Christ. And that is a picture that I love. This is a picture that Steve explained to us when he was preaching. And it is this type of picture. When I go for a walk with my children down the line just here, if it is a sunny day, and there's not many of those sunny days, but if it is a sunny day, what will happen is my children will cast a shadow. And when they cast the shadow, I'll tell you what, I am not in love with that shadow. I don't worry about that shadow. I don't care if that shadow hits a building or I don't care if that shadow falls into the water. I don't pray for that shadow. What I care about is what the shadow points to. That is my children. The shadow is not the important thing. The shadow points to the true and better thing. And that is what Paul is saying in Colossians. All of these things are but shadows and Christ is the reality. And so when you are reading your Bible, it's actually a good big picture thing to do as you read your Bible. When you hear about prophets, when you hear about priests, and when you hear about kings, you should have constantly in your mind shadow, 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 pointing me to the reality that is Christ. And so all of the kings in all of the Old Testaments were but shadows. They were not perfect. They were fallen. And when you look at the kings of the Old Testament, we begin with the first king. And you might think he is a a strange king because it doesn't actually fully call him a king, but I believe he is. It is King Adam. You remember Adam and Eve, they were made in the image of God. And then as they were made in the image of God, it tells us that they were given a job. And here's the job that they were given. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And what? Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I want you to have dominion. I want you to have rule. I want you to have reign. I want you to be my vice regents. I want you to be my kings on this earth. And so what happened in in the role of prophet and in the role of priest and in the role of king... In the role of prophet, you had one who who spoke from God to the people like we heard. In the role of priest, you had one who spoke from the people to God... And then the role of king, you have one who speaks from God and rules over the people. The idea of the king is the one who rules. And Adam and Eve, they were supposed to be king and queen, if you like. Adam was meant to be the king. They were meant to rule over the animals. They were meant to reign. How did they do at their job? Were they good at it? Well, you get to chapter (laughs) 3. They were supposed to rule. Over all the animals. But then a serpent comes. And instead of ruling over the animal. Instead of having dominion over the animal. Instead of saying no to the animal. They say yes. The first king fails. And then you move down the story of the kings. And it kind of 
seems like the same old story. Saul is appointed as king and he kind of does well at the start, but then he rejects God and he, he's, his life is full of disobedience and he's not a good king. And then you get to King David and, and King David comes and, and King David is called as one after God's own heart. And yet he is one who committed adultery with a, another woman and then goes off to kill her husband. And he wasn't a good king. And then you get Solomon, and you say, Solomon, oh, what a wise king Solomon is. Uh, he might have been wise, but he married a lot of wives. 300 wives, 700 concubine. Good or bad king? Pretty bad king. Then after that, what happened to the nation was the nation divided. Uh, Solomon had, had, had children, and, and the apple hadn't fallen far from the tree. The, the kingdom divided into two, kind of north and south, like you would have um, southern Ireland and northern Ireland, and it was divided into two. You had, you had ten tribes in the north and, and two tribes in the south, and what they had was kings ruling over the tribes of the north and tribes of the south. The tribes of the north, they had about 19 kings, and the tribes of the south, they had about 20 kings. What would you like to guess, hazard a guess, were all those kings pretty much good kings or bad kings? You want to have a third guess? Tell me what you think. Good or bad? Bad. Exactly right. Bad kings. The majority of them. Failure after failure after failure after failure. And as you look at the people and as the people honoring these kings and following after these kings, you'd say to yourself, why do they make these kings in their lives? Why do they follow after these kings? Why do these kings keep getting appointed in people's lives? Why would you appoint bad kings in your life? Because I believe that's what we do as people. We often appoint bad kings in our lives. All of you have kings in your life. You might, they mightn't be kings with a crown or a scepter or a throne or a robe. But we all make kings in our lives. The, the, the kings of people. We are concerned with people's opinions so much in our lives that every decision we make, everything we believe, even the clothes we wear, are ruled by these kings in our life, by the people in our lives. Sometimes we make kings of our families. That our families rule our lives. Maybe our husband or our wife or even our children. We make children our king. Now, now, children are beautiful, they're wonderful, I'm glad for them, I love them, but they're bad kings to have. They should not rule your house. They should not reign your house. They should not be the ones who make the decisions in your house. They're bad kings to have in your house. Often we make kings. You know the worst king of all though? Oh, I won't have people as a king, I won't have children as a king. Do you know the worst king that we make? The king of self. We make ourselves king. I'm going to rule. I'm going to reign. People let me down. I'm going to make all the decisions in my life. I'm going to be autonomous. I'm going to be the ruler. Guess what? Are you a good king or a bad king in your life? You're a bad king. Why? Because your heart is deceitful above all else. We know that. So for the Christian, who is to rule in our lives? King Jesus. He is to have the rule and reign in our lives. And I would have you today, I think you should today, look and survey your life 
and ask yourself, who is ruling right now? Who is the king right now? Who is reigning right now in my life? And if it is not King Jesus, I would call on you to repent and ask for forgiveness and trust in Him alone as your king. He is to be the ruler in your life above all else. And so you look at the, the, the history of these kings. Adam, failure. David, failure. Solomon, failure. 19 kings, failure. 20 kings, failures. And there's this built-in anticipation in the Old Testament that says, there's got to be a better king than this. And it's the same with the priests. You look at the priests and you say, there's got to be a better priest than this. Aaron and the priests, they had their first day on the job. And what did they do? They failed. The prophets, oftentimes, they failed. The king, oftentimes, they failed. And so there's this longing for a true and better king. And then you get to Mark chapter 1. And in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, Mark says this. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. After all this waiting, after all this longing, after all this anticipation, he begins his gospel by saying, the beginning. Now what does the beginning remind you of? Where are those words familiar? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning. And what Mark is laying out to us in this first verse of the first chapter, he is saying to us, in effect, there is a new beginning. (laughs) There's going to be a, a reset. Here is the beginning. It is the beginning of the gospel, which means euangelion, the good news, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus is his name, but Christ is his title. And what does Christos mean? Christos means the royal one, the anointed one, the king. And so Mark begins his gospel by saying this. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the king. And so his whole gospel is going to prove that Jesus is the king. And guess what? Jesus isn't a bad king. Jesus is who he says, the son of God. All these kings, they were failures. But this one king, he is going to be perfect. He is the divine king. He is the ruling king. And Mark in his gospel is going to show us King Jesus in all of his glory. And so throughout the gospel, you have the disciples walking along with Jesus and the disciples, you could call their name, you could translate that disciples as students. They were students of Jesus. Jesus was the great teacher. And as the great teacher, we come to Mark chapter 8 in which he begins or talks to them in a teaching manner. And Jesus has two questions for his disciples. Two questions for his disciples. And as a good teacher, Jesus always asks good questions. It's what good teachers do. They ask good questions and Jesus was the best at it. The first question we are going to look at, look in 
Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Here is the first question. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Jesus comes to them and he asks the first question. What's the story? What's the news about me? What do people think? Who do people say that I am? And I always laugh when Jesus asks questions. Because you know he knows the answer. You know he knows the answer. How do I know he knows the answer? Well, in Mark chapter 2, you have this account where these friends, they have this other friend who is a paralytic and they, and they put him onto a mat. And there's this crowd in a house. They're cr- the house is crowded because people want to hear Jesus teaching. People want to be healed by Jesus. And these friends, they can't get the paralytic into the house. So what do they do? They go onto the roof of the house and they rip the house open. And they lower the guy down on the mat. And Jesus, his first words to this man are, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't want you to focus on the healing. I want you to focus on what people in the room were thinking at that moment when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Because there is teachers in the law, and here's what it says about them. Mark chapter 2, verse 6. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there in this crowded house. You know, the mud and whatever is flowing down there. They're sitting in in the crowded house, and they're thinking to themselves... Why does this fellow talk like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? So, so, so this man is lowered down to the room. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. They're standing back and they're only thinking in their heads. What's this guy doing? How dare he forgive sins? He's blaspheming. And Jesus is standing there as they're thinking. And they're, I know what they're thinking. And then Jesus points to them and says, why are you thinking what you're thinking? You imagine how horrifying that would be at that moment for someone to actually know your thoughts. Why are you thinking what you're thinking? presence of Jesus should scare us at times in a healthy way. Why are you thinking what you're thinking? Why do you have that in your head? We need to repent. That's what makes me laugh about Jesus asking questions. You know he knows the answer. Why does he ask the question? (laughs) Because he's teaching them something. What do people say about me? Well, the news of what the people say about him is in verse 28. Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others say one of the prophets. Here's the news. There's there's three opinions about you, Jesus. Some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others say you are the prophet. 
And what's interesting about these three opinions is some say you're John the Baptist. John the Baptist's job was not to be the Messiah. John the Baptist's job was to be the forerunner, to be the torch, if you like, the light that pointed to Jesus. John the Baptist's job was to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's job was to point other people to him. And yet, ironically, people think that Jesus is John the Baptist. And then the other opinion was Elijah. And so back in the Old Testament, there was this idea, this this thought that there, Elijah would come and one who would come in the spirit of Elijah. And that was actually John the Baptist. But they're thinking, oh, it's Elijah who's come, who's the forerunner against the Messiah. Not the Messiah, but Elijah. And they were so close, but yet so very far. And then some say the prophets. Oh, he's one of these authoritative figures who can speak on behalf of God, but he is not God himself. He is, in fact, not the Messiah he couldn't be. Here are the opinions in those days. What is amazing about those three opinions is it takes quite a lot of faith to have those opinions. Because all three, they're dead. John the Baptist was killed about two chapters ago. He was beheaded. So what they're believing about Jesus is that he's raised from the dead. Elijah is dead. What they're believing about Elijah is he's raised from the dead. The prophets, they're long gone. So they know enough about Jesus to know this guy is special. But they don't want to believe that he's king. Oh, he's a special one. But I'm not going to believe that he's king. And there's all these different opinions in the Gospel of Mark about who Jesus is. His own family in Mark chapter 3 verse 21 say this. He is out of his mind. His own family told a crowd of people that he is crazy. The teachers of the law in Mark 3 verse 22 said he is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons he drives out demons. So his family think he's crazy. The teachers of the law think he is a demon. But you know what the demons think about him? The demons think about him that he is indeed the Holy One of God. In Mark chapter 1 verse 24, a, a, a number of unclean spirits say to him, Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. A demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 verse 7 says, What do you want with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High? So there's all these opinions about Jesus. And yet the only people to get it right are in fact the demons. They know who He is. They know that He is the Son of God. We live in a world where there are many different views about Jesus. Loads of them. When you go to your workplace, you know, you'll have that conversation. You know, you have that conversation with people. I I always, I have it quite regularly. You know, you talk to people about what they do, and then they ask me, well, what do you do? What do you do? You know, there's kind of a wry smile that hits my face because I know, like, we know what's going to happen. They're, they're in for it now. And I say, well, you know, depending who I'm talking to, I'm a minister or a pastor or whatever. 
And, uh, you know, their eyes kind of have that look, you know, that crazy look. Oh, no, like, I really don't want to talk to him anymore. Um, and this is this is the reality of what happens. And that happens to you at work, too, I'm sure. You talk to someone and you start to tell them about your faith and that you're a Christian and that you believe in Jesus and you see the kind of crazy look in their eyes and they don't want to talk to you anymore. You see, people are willing to believe that Jesus was probably a good guy. People are willing to believe that Jesus was probably a good moral teacher. People are willing to even believe this time of year that Jesus was a baby. Yeah, he was a baby. People are probably even willing to believe that Jesus went to the cross. But people are not willing to believe that Jesus is the king. Because if you believe that Jesus is the king, you have to do something about that. If he is the king, guess what you have to do? You have to bow the knee. And I want to remind you that you live in a world, and you probably don't need reminding, people don't think he's king. And they are going to think you're crazy. And I would encourage you, continue following after him. Continue serving him. Continue recognizing him as king, no matter what the other people say about him. So his first question is, Who do people say that I am? His second question is where he really wanted them. Verse 29. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? That's where Jesus, the great teacher, wanted to get them. Who do people say that I am? Oh, people say John the Baptist, Elijah, the prophets. Yeah, but what about you? See, because the disciples, they are the only people up to this point in the Gospel of Mark who have yet to declare their opinion about who Jesus is. Right up to this point, we have not heard their voice. We have heard the voice of the family who say, He's out of his mind. He's crazy. We've heard the voice of the teachers of the law. He's a demon-possessed man. Stay away from him. We have heard the voice of the demons. He's the Son of God. Stay away from Him. But we have yet to hear the voice of the disciples. They were constantly on this journey up to this point, trying to discover who is this Jesus. And you'll remember that from these two water stories that we hear in Mark. You will know these stories well. Jesus went on the boat in Galilee. And when he went on the boat in Galilee with his disciples, he fell asleep because he got tired. And he fell asleep and guess what happened? You know it. What happened? You can say it. What happened when he fell asleep? A storm came, didn't it? A storm came and hit the boat. And what did it say about the disciples? The disciples, they were afraid. So they wake him up. And Jesus... He looks to the storm and he says, be still. And the storm obeyed. If I'm looking at that, I'm going, this guy, this guy is different. The storm obeys his words. Do you know what it said about the disciples after the storm obeys? 
It says this. They were terrified. It was calm. And they were terrified. And asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this guy on the boat with us? They're trying to figure out who he is. And then the second water story was another boat story. Jesus was with the crowd and then he sent his disciples away on a boat and another storm hits and they are afraid. And as they were afraid, they saw him, it says in Mark 6, walking on the lake. That guy is different. Walking on the lake They thought he was a ghost and they cried out because they all saw him. And guess what again in the water? They were terrified. And immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Oh, that we might hear those words. Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Just a small thing. It's so hard right now with the news, isn't it? To not be afraid. With stuff going on in our lives, it's so hard to not be afraid. And it's like Jesus this morning is walking out on the water to us. We say, that guy is different. And he says, take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. And so the disciples are on this discovery as to who Jesus is. And Jesus has been walking them along this journey day after day. They're seeing all these miracles. And do you know what Jesus is doing? He is being a good teacher. Just like my teacher in primary school. In primary school, I was never very good at math. Well, I was never very good at anything, let's be honest. It was only in college I decided to wake up. But, but, but in, in primary school... We were, do, we were doing maths and, and my, my teacher used to call us up front. It was, it was kind of an evil thing to do. I don't think she, I think she was trying to help us, but it like, it was, it was kind of so that we'd get one-on-one training, but you do one-on-one training in front of the whole class. So they're doing other work and she would kind of bring you up and, and she would walk you through. And I remember, I even remember the angle she used to hold her pen at. So I'd be standing up there, all my friends are watching me, and she's going, Shane, yes, what's this plus this plus this? What does it equal, Shane? And I know she wants me to give the right answer. What does this plus this plus this plus this equal? She's walked me through. I say, I don't know. She's like, ah, Shane! Like this is in front of everybody. What's this plus this plus this plus this? And then, you know, God gave me calculators and I praise his name for that. But she wanted to walk me through. That's what Jesus is doing with the disciples. He's saying to them, you've watched me. What does this miracle, this demon being cast out, Plus this blind man now seeing. Plus this deaf man now hearing. Plus me calming the sea. 
plus me walking on water, plus me feeding the 5,000 from nothing. Disciples, what does that equal? Peter gives the answer. Verse 29. You are the Christ. Finally, he gets it. I've seen him. I've watched him. I see it. And Jesus has brought them. Who do people say that I am? Jesus doesn't care about the people. Who do people say that I am? Jesus wants to get to their hearts. What about you? And Peter says, you are the Christ. Christos. You're the king. And when Peter is declaring that, do you know what he's doing? He's saying, I don't care what other people around me think about Jesus. I don't care. You are the king. You are the Christ. And I'm going to follow you. And Jesus would say to us this morning, what about you? Who do you say that he is? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Do you believe that Jesus is the King? And does your life show that? When people look at your life, would they say, that person is the King of their life? Or would they say, Jesus is their King? You need to look at your life. Because if Jesus is the Christ, that should mean a few things for us. First, if Jesus is the Christ, I think it means this for us. We need to bow the knee. If Jesus is the King, you need to bow your knee to Him. If you have not put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have not repented of your sin and bowed before Him and recognized Him as King, this morning is the morning for you to bow the knee. If he truly is king. If Jesus is king, number two, it means you must die to yourself. You must no longer live to yourself. After this, you know, uh, Peter got it right, you are the Christ. And then Peter got it horribly wrong. It said for, for Jesus to be the Christ, it meant in verse 31, Jesus continues and, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day rose again. Jesus reign as Christ meant for him suffering. Yes, he did get a crown, but he got a crown of thorns. Yes, he did get a robe, but he got a mockingly put on him. Yes, it did say, Hail, King of the Jews. But they were mocking him. They didn't realize he actually was the king. For him, it meant suffering. And for his followers, it means this. Verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If Jesus is going to be your king, you need to bow the knee. And if Jesus is going to be your king, you need to deny yourself and follow him. Number three, if Jesus is going to be your king, you need to make a decision today that you are going to reject all other kings in your life. 
There is constantly that temptation in my life, and I'm not sure if it's there in yours, to constantly elevate things and people as my king. Watch out for it. Christmas, watch out for the king of materialism. It's going to try and rule your life this Christmas. Watch out for your worship. King Jesus deserves all your worship and only Him. Reject all other kings. Number four, if Jesus is our King, we need to remember always that He is King. No matter what is going on. You know, I've, 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 I fear in some ways, I don't know if you've thought about it, I've thought about it, that I might not be looking at you soon. That I might be looking at this thing again soon only. I hope not. I really hope not. But we need to remember this. If we do get locked down, what do we remember? He's king. He's king. He's not out of control. He is king. If there's things going on in your life, people sick, suffering, finance, whatever it is, remember that truth. It's been so good for me this week. He's king. He's king. He's not out of control of this world. None of this is taking him by surprise. He is king. And if he is, you need to remember him as king always in your life. Number five, if he is king, you need to declare him as king. Proclaim him as king. Tell everyone that He is King in your life. And one of the ways you do that, I think, is identifying yourself with the King. On the 30th of January, we've picked a date and we're going to go for it. There are going to be some baptisms here in the church. And if you have not yet identified with Jesus as your King, by way of baptism, you should declare Him as King. And finally... If Jesus is king, I think what that means for us is we need to remember that he is coming back as king. He is coming back to rule and reign on this earth. And we need to look forward to that day. Jesus asks you this question. What about you? Who do you say that I am? My prayer for each one in this room, including the youngest, that they might say, He's my King. He's my King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the King of this universe. And we pray that we would follow you as King, declare you as King, Reject all other kings and that you alone would receive honor and glory and praise in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the prophet, the priest, and the king who has come. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are coming back again. And no matter what happens, we declare our God reigns. Help us, Lord, as a church. These days can be difficult and hard. Help us to continue to follow after you.
In your precious and glorious name, we pray all these things. Amen.